Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. You probably think you know fairy tales. Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood. You probably think that they're cute and boring. But the real stories aren't cute and boring at all. The grim fairy tales were weird and sometimes gross and often scary. And in the podcast Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, you can listen along with a group of other kids as I tell them those tales. The episodes are sometimes grim, sometimes grimmer, and sometimes grimmest. But no matter how creepy it gets, we'll always have a great time guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and discussing what these tales mean to us. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes. Hello once again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host, and keeper of those curious and spine-tingling tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is the next episode of my Chilling Tales series, where we'll further explore the weird, the scary, and the downright eerie. So get ready to soar, Story Club members. This wild, chilling tale is one that I call Edge of Dread. Sarah grew up in a big city surrounded by skyscrapers. But since she was a little girl, she never liked going up those buildings or looking off balconies. She was scared of heights. Just looking down would make her head all swimmy, her stomach ball up like a fist, and she would start sweating. Often in summer, Sarah would go to Alaska for a couple of weeks to spend time with her cousin Rachel. Sarah didn't mind the country. It was flat for miles around. Sarah's Uncle Pete grew alfalfa to make hay, so Sarah would help out with Rachel's morning chores. In the afternoons when it grew unbearably hot, they'd swim in a lake and float around on tractor tire inner tubes. It was almost 4th of July, though, so Sarah went up with her Uncle Pete and Rachel to their cabin in the mountains. Lots of other cousins and relatives and friends would be there, too. They'd have a picnic and light off some fireworks. One firework Uncle Pete did bring up were called bird boomers. They were fireworks some farmers used to scare off birds that would eat freshly planted seeds. They made a loud whistle and an inevitable satisfying boom at the end. Those were fun to light. In the afternoon, everyone was sluggish and napping from eating so much, including Uncle Pete. Rachel suggested that she and Sarah slip away from the cabin and journey to the little store. It was a small convenience store about a mile away, up the mountain and along the trail. The idea of buying soda and some candy appealed to Sarah, so they went. What Sarah hadn't counted on, though, was a staggering mountain view of the Alaskan wilderness along the trail. A sheer cliff drop-off that plummeted straight down hundreds of feet to a winding, surging river below. Don't be so scared, Rachel said. Town kids are so afraid of everything. Face your fears. Easy for you to say, Sarah thought. 
You didn't grow up around towering skyscrapers that block out the sun. It was a hot afternoon, and they sat down in the shade for a rest. They were about halfway to the store. Sarah could almost taste the red licorice and chocolate bars. Rachel was munching on some turkey jerky she had brought along. It had a strong odor. That won't attract any wild animals like bears, will it? Sarah asked. No, Rachel said. It's too hot for bears right now. They're sleeping. Rachel handed the bag of jerky to Sarah. But little did the girls know, a grizzly bear had smelled the jerky. The massive monster of fangs and fur had taken notice, and through the brambles it came. Sarah was told never to run when there was a bear, but she couldn't help it. She ran, the jerky clenched in her fist with the grizzly gaining fast. Sarah sprinted along the edge of the cliff and wondered how she'd ever gotten herself into this mess. Rachel was yelling something in the background, but Sarah could only hear the furious pounding of her heart that boomed in her ears like a bass drum. Then, she slipped on some loose rocks, screamed, and tumbled off the edge of the cliff. Thankfully, she managed to grab a ledge of rock about five feet down from the edge of the cliff. The grizzly bear, which must have weighed a thousand pounds, leaned over the side of the cliff and tried to swipe at her with its sharp claws. Sarah didn't look down. She knew if she did, she'd get dizzy and fall. Her muscles were stiff. She stared ahead at the rocks. Only at the rocks. She couldn't move. A high, shrill whistle and a loud boom exploded. The massive bear raised its head up, turned, and lumbered away from the blast. Bird boomers, Sarah thought. Rachel must have stuffed one in her pocket along with a lighter. She hadn't seen her do that. Thank goodness she did. A moment later, Rachel was leaning over the side of the cliff. Smokey's headed for the hills. Grab my hand, she said. I'll pull you up. Sarah couldn't let go of the ledge. She had a death grip on the rocks. If she moved her hand, she knew she'd fall a hundred feet into the river below. They may never find her. She'd be smashed and washed down the stream. No, don't think of that. Don't be afraid, Rachel said. Take my hand. It's okay, Sarah. You've got this. Sarah couldn't breathe, couldn't move. But she fought against her fearful instincts, held on tightly with one hand, and let go with the other. I wonder if Sarah was able to grab Rachel's hand. I guess we'll never know. But one thing is for sure. Having a bird boomer handy appears to be a good idea on a mountain in Alaska. As far as bears go... The only kind I like are gummy bears. They're much sweeter to have around. Let's face it, fear is one of those emotions that keep you aware of your surroundings, but sometimes you have to conquer them in order to get anywhere, especially off the sheer face of a cliff. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host, an entrusted custodian of those spooky yarns and strange tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This tasty tale, Story Club members, is why you shouldn't play with your food. It's one I call Sin Amin Bears. Nick held the kitchen door in place, his shoulder against the wood. His twin sister, Cora, grabbed a kitchen chair and slid it across the tile floor. It made a shuddering sound that gave them chills, like fingernails on a chalkboard. 
Hurry up, Cora, Nick said. They're getting through. Okay, so we need to back up to an hour earlier. Nick and Cora's father was a food scientist. He was a doctor who made breakfast cereals stay crunchier in milk, potato chips stay crisp long after they've been opened, and most of the kernels in a bag of microwave popcorn pop without leaving too many uncooked. They lived in an upscale townhouse in the big city. While their father was on an important business call in a study on the other side of the house, Nick and Cora had ventured into his home laboratory. Their father worked long hours and didn't like them in there. He also didn't like to be disturbed while he was on a call in his study. He kept his door firmly closed. They were always curious about what their father did. He didn't talk much about work. In fact, he didn't talk about much of anything. He would usually work, take a break for dinner, and then go back to work, occasionally grumbling out a question about what they did in school that day or telling them good night. Their dad was working on something serious in his lab and they were dying of curiosity. Cora had guessed the six-digit code, which was their dad's birthday. They snuck inside and flipped on the light. The room reeked of chemicals. It made sense because there were glass vials and plastic bottles filled with various elixirs on the shelves. Boxes of food were on the floor too. On the laboratory table was some green goop in a glass bowl. What's that? Cora asked. Nick had no idea. One of the open boxes on the floor contained several bags of extra-large cinnamon bears. They stood about three inches high. Several of the packs were open, so Nick and Cora ate a few. Well, more than a few. Half a dozen each. The cinnamon flavor was so strong, it made their mouths hot. Nick put on some safety goggles. Then, he dumped a few chemicals into the goop to see what would happen. First, there was a yellow chemical, then a red one, and then a blue one. The goop moved a little bit on its own. Look at this, Cora, he said. Can you believe it? I'm a scientist just like Dad. We probably should go. He's going to be mad that we're in here. Just a sec, Nick said, adding one more chemical. When it hit the green, writhing goop, it exploded into a ball of smoke. The chemical goop splattered all over the cinnamon bears below. Cora coughed. And now you've done it. Let's get out of here. Nick ignored her, pointing. Look. The cinnamon bears with the green goop on them began to animate and move on their own. Cora reached out to one. It bit her. You ate our friends, the angry candy bear said. Prepare to pay. The bears tore open the other packages of their trapped cousins, spilling some of the life-giving chemical onto them. Nick and Cora backed toward the lab door as the cinnamon bears climbed out of the box, a hundred of them or so, and amassed toward them like a red vengeful army. We'll eat you, the bears hissed, like you ate us. Yum, yum, yum. This is crazy, Nick said. People eat candy. Candy doesn't eat people. One of the bears climbed up his pant leg, leapt onto his hand, and bit it. Ow! Nick threw the cinnamon bear across the room. The other candy bears attacked. The twins ran out of the lab and down the hall. They were going to go to their dad for help, but the army of cinnamon bears, marching, 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 had blocked their way. The kitchen was their only avenue of escape. In here, Nick said. They sprinted into the kitchen and shut the door. It didn't have a lock on it, so they had to bar the door with a chair. But the chair wouldn't hold. 
The bears had already gathered their collective strength against it and pounded on the other side. The door would be broken down soon. Nick was going to call for help. Then he remembered that his phone was on the dining room table where he left it after dinner. Dang. What are we going to do? Cora asked. We can't go down the fire escape. The kitchen window is painted shut. We're trapped. The kitchen door bowed inward. It would break open soon. Nick and Cora backed away from the door. Then, when their backs were against the sink, Nick had an idea. It was a crazy idea, but it just might work. They were standing on a stiff mat. He turned to Cora. Turn the oven to broil. Why? Just do it, Nick said, moving the kitchen mat in front of the door. It was about to fall open any second, as the chair holding it in place was futilely inching itself along the tile. The army of monster bears had almost forced their way in. We're going to eat you up, the bears chanted in their tiny candied voices. We're going to eat you up, yum, yum, yum. It was a kind of rallying cry as they labored at opening the door. Yum, yum, yum. Cora flipped the gas oven to broil. It grew hot immediately. Now what? Open the oven door, Nick said as he placed the mat strategically in front of the kitchen door. Cora opened the oven door. A moment later, the door to the kitchen cracked open and the army of cinnamon bears piled into the kitchen across the mat. Nick waited for them, and when most of them marched onto the mat, he grabbed it with both hands and flung it toward the open oven. Most of the cinnamon bears flew inside the waiting heat box. Cora shut the door, trapping them inside, but they fought to escape. Well, that was a sticky situation that Nick and Cora got themselves into, and they barely survived. Maybe next time they won't tamper with things they don't understand, even if there seems to be some kind of sweet reward. Let's hope they melted those candy monsters into mindless mush. Do you like to laugh? Ah, uh, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So, okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you, and the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host with the absolute most, and caretaker of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This hairy tale, Story Club members, may send a chill up your spine. It's one I call the Snow Beast. Shauna and Alice loved playing in the snow. They could make snow forts, lie back and make snow angels, and of course have snowball fights. Shauna's parents had a cabin in the Blue Mountains of Oregon. They would often spend weekends up there, but they liked the wintertime best. 
The snow was knee-deep, and you could ride snowmobiles. Shauna had a small snowmobile that her parents had taught her how to drive when she was eight. She was 11 now and pretty good at it. Let's go over to the Harrison cabin, Alice said. Shauna agreed. Their friend, Daniel Harrison, was there, a boy in their class, and his family was so nice. And they made the best spiced apple cider, which was ideal on such a cold Saturday in January. Shauna told her parents where they were going and what time they'd be back. Then Shauna started up the snowmobile and Alice climbed in back. They would have to go up Lone Hawk Hill and then down on the other side. It was about two miles. Riding at about 20 miles an hour, because Shauna promised her parents that she would go slow, they figured it would take about six minutes or so to get there. Alice could almost taste that spicy cider that was so hot that you had to be careful not to scald your tongue. As the little snowmobile crested Lone Hawk Hill, Alice tapped Shauna on the shoulder. Over the roar of the engine and the wind in their ears through the helmet, it was hard to hear. Shauna slowed down a little bit. What? She yelled back to her friend. You should really open it up on the straightaway just to see how fast this snail moves. But I promised my parents not to go fast. There are lots of things buried under the snow like tree stumps. When you're going too fast, you can't see them. Just this once, Alice said. I want to feel like I'm flying. Shauna reluctantly agreed. Why not? One time wouldn't hurt. Hang on, she said. Alice did. Shauna throttled her small snowmobile and it roared to life. Her speedometer pointed at 20 miles per hour. She was forbidden to go any faster until she was older and had more experience. But she'd been driving in the snow for two years under her parents' tutelage. Why not open it up a little? She could impress Alice that way. Alice was the cooler girl in school, and she'd probably brag on Monday to their classmates about how well Shauna handled the snow machine. Shauna squeezed the throttle, and the red needle climbed above 20 and went to 30, and then 40, and then 50, and then 60. They were moving now. The trees around them blurred past. Alice screamed and howled with delight from behind Shauna. She could barely hear her, but it was loud enough to know she was having a blast. Shauna was about to slow down because they were coming to the edge of the hill, when she felt like they were being watched from the tree line. She turned not sure if she had seen a dark shape move under the shadows of the Douglas firs. Bam! Shauna struck something hard, and the snowmobile veered out of control. One of the skis slid off and skated across the smooth carpet of sparkly white. The motion knocked Shauna and Alice into the snow. Fortunately, the snow was soft and it broke their fall. Shauna shook her head. Are you all right? She asked her friend. Yeah. She said, what did we hit? Shauna crawled through the deep snow and saw her snowmobile lodged up against a tree. She hadn't seen the stump they'd hit. She was going too fast and she was distracted by what she thought she'd saw in the woods. She was pretty sure it was only a trick of the light. The sun had vanished behind the clouds and the afternoon had gone dark quickly. We were about halfway between my parents' cabin and the Harrisons, Shauna said. I'd better walk back and tell my dad. He'll have to tow the snowmobile back. That's a long walk in deep snow, Alice said, lying back and making a snow angel. I'll wait here for help to arrive. This made Shauna kinda mad. It was Alice's idea in the first place to go fast. But Shauna agreed and started heading down the hill. She followed the snowmobile tracks. 
It didn't make the effort of pulling her snow boots up out of the snow much easier, but at least she knew where she was going. After she got far enough down the hill, Alice and her snowmobile had vanished from view and Shauna was all alone. It was getting dark and she was hot and tired. This was supposed to be a weekend of relaxing, not doing strenuous physical exercise. But she had a thought that chilled her to the bone. What was that thing she saw watching them from the wood line? It looked bulky and hairy, but she couldn't be sure. She only saw a flash of it. There were stories of Bigfoot, or what he was originally known as Sasquatch, a human-like ape man with huge feet that was rarely seen. Had she just seen one? She shook her head. No. Those things were myths and legends, not facts. Still, the thought of the possibility made her fight faster through the snow and down the hill. Her parents' log cabin was in view now, the lights on, and the wood smoke churning from the stone chimney. A welcome sight. But there was also a terrible smell. It was reported that when people saw a Bigfoot, the terrible smell was the first thing reported. She was almost too afraid to look around, but she did. Whew, she was alone. But that smell was getting worse. And then she saw a figure in the brambles. The shape of something shaggy and massive with a squat head, no neck, and wide muscular shoulders. She saw it staring at her and she stared back. She wanted to scream, but the scream stopped in her throat. I wonder what happened to Shauna. Did she make friends with the Bigfoot and invite it in for some hot chocolate and a biscotti? Or did she run down the hill as fast as she could? Or maybe things ended up much worse than that. I also wonder if Shauna's friend is still up there making snow angels, or maybe the Bigfoot visited her first. I know what I would do. Not go into the woods at all. I'm a homebody that way. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This hairy tale, Story Club members, may have you running for the hills. It's one I call Ape Canyon. Believe it or not, devoted listeners, camping is one of my favorite pastimes. It's something I've always liked doing with my parents as a kid. Now that I'm older, I appreciate the peace and quiet of the outdoors, the sparkly blanket of stars at night that aren't hindered by city lights, and of course, the snacks. Making s'mores and hot dogs over an open fire is the best. Everything tastes so much better when you're out in the woods. Don't ask me why. So, I convinced my best friend, Willow Yates, to go camping with me. If you've been listening, Willow and I had a scary encounter at Cannon Beach with Bandage Man. Willow said she never wanted to go on another vacation with me ever again after that. But I convinced her to give me another chance with just a simple, nice, week-long summer stay in perfectly safe Washington State. The spot I had in mind was Ape Canyon. What I didn't tell Willow is that Washington State's Ape Canyon got its name from an event that happened back in 1924. Whoops. Anyway, back in 1924, a group of miners led by Fred Beck stayed in a cabin in the area. One night, their cabin was pummeled by rocks by creatures they described as ape men and mountain devils. The siege lasted all night. In the morning, the miners escaped and drove down the mountain to a ranger station. Later, when large footprints were found around the miners' cabin, confirming their story, 
it became a newspaper sensation. Hunters and the curious wandered out to the area in hopes of seeing one of these hairy creatures. The place was named Ape Canyon after that. So you can see why I didn't tell my friend Willow any of this, right? Why would I? I'd have ended up camping alone, and what fun is that? When we got to Ape Canyon, I, of course, started searching for any signs of these Sasquatch creatures, like large footprints on the forest floor, or even tufts of hair caught in brambles. But nothing turned up. Probably a good thing, though, because Willow would have flipped out and taken off down the mountain without me. On the third night, though, it happened. We'd spent the day hiking. It was a long and hot walk, and we were tired. As we were heading back to our tent at our campsite, we decided to take a dip in the mountain stream. The water was bone-chillingly cold, so we didn't wade in the gurgling waters long, but the soothing stream sure beat the heat. As I took the purple and black bandana I brought with me, soaked it in the stream, and wrapped it around my neck to cool me down, I had the feeling of being watched. At first, I thought it might be Willow, but she was busy pouring cups of water over her head. No, the watcher was from somewhere across the stream in the brush. I peered over in that direction, but I couldn't see anything. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up. Knowing the history of the area, maybe I was just scaring myself? Cooled down by the river, we returned to camp, hungry. We'd brought plenty of food supplies, which we had to keep sealed up tight in coolers in the trunk of the car. We didn't want our food to attract unwanted guests like bears. The sun had dropped behind a mountain, and so the afternoon fell into evening pretty fast. We lit a campfire and prepared dinner. Willow and I sat on these boulders, which we'd used as chairs while roasting our sizzling hot dogs. These gigantic rocks, the size of a stool, had to weigh a few hundred pounds each. I wasn't sure, but it seemed like they had moved from their previous spot. But maybe I was just tired. When it was time to make s'mores for dessert, I went into the tent to fetch all the supplies. Chocolate bars, marshmallows, and graham crackers. We'd been snacking on them earlier as we got back and made the fire. Now it was time to put all those ingredients together to make the best camping treats ever. Willow screamed, and then I heard footfalls running off. What's going on? A moment later, I heard a deep, low breathing. My first thought was that a black or brown bear had wandered into the campground smelling our cooked hot dogs. A long, hairy arm, like that of a gorilla, reached into the tent. It grabbed up all the s'more supplies with a strong, hairy hand. I was too petrified to move or even breathe. A moment later, crunching sounds emanated from outside the tent. One of those Ape Canyon creatures was eating all of our s'more supplies. A few minutes later, it was quiet outside the tent. I pulled out a flashlight and checked around outside. Candy wrappers and plastic bags littered our camping area. Willow was hiding inside the car, ducked down in the seat and hugging herself, petrified in fear. She would have driven away, but I happened to have the keys in my jacket. I was curious to go investigate, but Willow demanded that we break down camp and get out of there. After a quick rush of putting out the fire, picking up our trash, and breaking down the tent, we were gone. We stayed at a nice hotel in town. In her fear, Willow had tried to take some pictures of the lumbering hairy figure she saw, but they were all blurry, and you couldn't really make out anything. So much for our Ape Canyon adventure. 
it'll probably come as no surprise that after our coastal calamity in Oregon and our camping mishap in Washington, Willow has decided never to go on another vacation with me again. Until I can convince her, that is. <laughs> Did you know there are a whole bunch of Go Kid Go shows? Of course, there's the R.L. Stein Story Club, and you're a member. There's also Bobby Wonder, a 10-year-old alien from the planet Florp who's trying to protect the Earthlings of Pflugerville from local villainous Mighty Mila. And Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat, Kapow. Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or R.L. Stein Story Club wherever you get your podcasts and you'll find your way. Come back tomorrow for another episode, because every R.L. Stein Story Club member needs a little scare every day. Ivy out! Go kid, go! Aren't adventurers supposed to have a specific purpose? What are you doing on this quest? Just meeting strangers? Yep, my purpose is to have no purpose. Though, I sort of find purpose as I go. My basket! It's missing! I have tried many means of defense, but none have yet proven successful. I just wish someone would succeed in getting that darn sword. I am under attack by this ruffian! I want to be big and strong and fight evil. I have hope that if you show up at her door, she might listen. Want to help me yell at them? With your sword? In a threatening manner? Sidequesting is a fantasy podcast about avoiding the main plot. It follows Ryan, an adventurer who's willing to help just about anyone out, as long as they're not being asked to deal with that scary wizard everyone keeps talking about. Subscribe today on your favorite podcast app.